Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. Silicon Valley is known for producing companies that move fast and break things. But few have moved faster or broken more things than ride-hailing service Uber, a company that's every success was also accompanied by disruption, dislocation, and controversy. I'm Keith Manconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today on the program, we're going to be talking about the man largely responsible for shaping Uber's distinctive approach to business, Uber's founder and former CEO, Travis Kalanick. For that, we'll be speaking with New York Times technology reporter Mike Isaac about his new book, Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber. It's a book that draws on hundreds of interviews with current and former Uber employees, to tell the story of how Kalanick led Uber through its meteoric rise and about his eventual fall from grace in the face of Uber scandal. Mike Isaac, thanks so much for being on KCBS In-Depth. Hey, thanks for having me. So I mentioned a second ago that uh, Kalanick was responsible for shaping Uber, but I think his reach was really, uh, honestly, a lot broader than that because Uber has come to symbolize a lot of the excesses and this very particular Silicon Valley ethos that's sprung up over the last 10 years or so, the move fast and break things, the change as much as you can, think about the consequences later. Which way should we think about it, though? Is it the fact that Silicon Valley shapes Travis Kalanick or is it Travis Mm -hmm. Kalanick shaped Silicon Valley? Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great point. I feel like there was a kind of a dynamic uh, that goes both ways here. You know, Um, first of all, like you're totally right. I think um, the point of this book is that it's a, it's a book on Uber, but it really is much larger than Uber. Um, this company came to just sort of be an avatar for every um, negative thing you could imagine about Silicon Valley, whether it's like just startling amounts of excess and greed and wealth or like bad bro behavior, misogyny, um, uh, and in some cases, violence and recklessness. And um, just the fact that we know what bad bro behavior when you say that. I <laughs> yeah, mean, that's like coined <laughs> phrase at this point, right? right? Yeah. Uh, no, I think, um, but I think that it there was a cycle of, you know, from the earliest days uh, of the Valley, you know, you know, the people sort of lionized this idea that founders are, uh, let's say, young men in hoodies in their college dorm rooms, eating a bowl of ramen, making the next billion dollar app, right? And that sort of mythology became really attractive. And I think that kind of led to uh, two things. One, I think it's just sort of let unconventional behavior maybe thrive in some cases, you know, whether that was just sort of being kooky or later being more aggressive and no holds barred. And then I think also it kind of um, fed uh, this idea that founders um, have this real great authority and kind of can act recklessly and maybe perhaps be more comfortable breaking rules just because um, you can't disrupt entrenched industries without uh, breaking some eggs or whatever mm-hmm. you want to, you know, whatever metaphor you want to say. But I do think um, Travis was Travis was Travis Kalanick was probably the 
the um, ubermensch of that <laughs> that mentality, right? So to speak, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like there, are, there's like rule breakers. There's like Zuckerberg's of the world where they kind of push the boundaries, and then mm-hmm. there's Travis who just kind of goes all the way. Right, and well, and that's the image of Travis Kalanick that we have right now. This post twenty seventeen, now that we've seen how it all shook out, the the version of him that we've all received is really that image that you have of really pushing the boundaries, really uh, leaning into excess as much as possible. But when Uber started back in two thousand nine, that's certainly not how he was thinking of himself. He was thinking of himself as somebody who was taking on an entrenched industry, the taxi industry, and uh, delivering a service that he felt was long overdue. Yeah, that's totally right. I think um, from the beginning, I mean, if you can remember back in 2008 or nine in San Francisco, right? I used to work in at Wired, which is at like third and uh, Howard, I think something like that. And and uh, I would have to leave for meetings 45 minutes early just because I didn't know if a cab was going to show up to get me to my next thing. Yep, right. Yep. And like that was that was the whole thing. Like the taxi industry didn't really even have to to cater to customers or care about whether they would show up or not just because they have monopoly on the industry, right? They had a full sort of lock on how people got around town, whether if they, if you weren't using public transportation or, or didn't have, a, have your own car. And so Travis Kalanick and his co-founders, um, Garrett Camp and then Ryan Graves, they come in and say, look, there should be a better way of doing this and and we, we should be the ones to provide it. And, and, and this is also, if you can back remember back when um, smartphones were not ubiquitous. But right. The iPhone was starting to be on the rise, and like BlackBerry was this sort of proto smartphone. And then the iPhone just sort of unlocked this idea that through an app, through a press of a button, mm-hmm. um, you could get whatever. And, and yeah. for Travis and them, that meant a Halion car. Right, right. So they were riding that wave of early opportunities that were opened up by the App Store and all of the sorts of things that you could now do with the App Store. So there's a lot of history to unpack. There was about uh, 10 years that we're talking about in the history of this book from Mm -hmm. 2009 when the company started to 2017 uh, when uh, Travis Kalanick fell from grace, left Uber, although with uh, billions of dollars in his pocket. (laughs) So, you know, not exactly a a, a super sad story, an Uber sad story, Mm. um, but certainly uh, probably not the ending that he was hoping for uh, from Uber. Let's skip to the end of that story just so that all of our listeners are on the same page and up to date on what exactly happened. 2017 was an intense year for Uber. Where did that come from and how did it lead to Travis Kalanick's uh, ouster? Yeah, so so um, I would say the first, uh, let's say, eight years of Uber's reign, first seven or eight years of Uber's reign is largely popular. I think the um, company had an aura of, okay, the founder's kind of a jerk. He's... Um, very aggressive, whatever, up at the top, willing to sort of take on these entrenched industries. But but we like the service so much um, that we're kind of cool with it, right? Like it's it's half the price of getting somewhere in a cab uh, uh, if I use an Uber um, and I can get it wherever I want and I can use it basically all times of the day. So 2017 comes around and it's just sort of like I've never seen scandal after scandal hit a company in such a short amount of time, right? Mm. There's... Um, uh, he was taking Travis was taking a lot of heat for being on, um, if you can remember this sort of Trump Business Council, um, which uh, in the beginning of 2017, I think people inside of the company as well as around Silicon Valley were starting to grasp um, some of what the Trump administration was going to do. And that didn't sit well with a lot of people, uh, including that first um, uh, ban on predominantly Muslim countries traveling to U.S., and so that sort of sparked this movement against Travis as well as directly after that, um, Susan Fowler, a former employee of Uber, wrote this memo 
basically detailing her history of harassment at the company, including by her manager on her like first day of work on mm-hmm. this engineering team. And, you know, after that, you name it, right? It was right. Google suing them or other managers just getting ousted for harassment. And it was just one thing after another that essentially culminated. Uh, I would say the biggest part, though, was Travis getting caught on video screaming at a driver, basically, and, mm. and sort of showed how little he regarded the people who worked for him, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the, by June 2017, he was he was pushed out in a very dramatic boardroom coup. He was pushed out, yeah. All right. Well, a lot more history to dig into right there. But before we move on, uh, I want to remind our listeners that this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi. Today on the program, we're going to be talking about the rise and fall of one man who has played uh, an outsized role in shaping how business is done in Silicon Valley. That, once again, is Uber founder Travis Kalanick. Uh, Joining us to discuss him is Mike Isaac, author of the new book, Super Pumped, the battle for Uber. And let's return to, I think, what uh, is, is is the main thing that uh, this sort of examining this history unlocks for us, and that is how did Silicon Valley turn out the way it is? What what are the mm-hmm. characteristics that emerged over the last 10 years, and how did those come about? And I think a good place to get into that would be to talk about Uber's own ethos and mythology of itself. And we, we get some hint of that in the very title of your book, Super Pumped. Yeah. Tell us where Super cu- Pumped comes from and what that says about the company. Yeah, totally. So I, um, it's funny. I think people who first see this book on the stands are like, what is, <laughs> what is this? Right? Like, what is Super Pumped? And um, so just, I think a lot of the employees <laughs> that first heard that phrase had similar thoughts. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. So um, back in 2014, 15, I want to say, you know, basically, if you think about every tech company in the Valley, they all have these very lofty uh, mission statements and ideals. It's not like most, you know, every company, every corporation has some sort of like corporate speak uh, philosophy, right? But Mm -hmm. I think um, the Facebooks and the Googles of the worlds are much more high flying and lofty, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it's we want to connect the world of Facebook or we want to organize the world's information at Google uh, or that we're customer obsessed at Amazon. So Travis uh, Kalanick had this real obsession with Amazon and basically wanting Uber to become Amazon. And Amazon has these 14 values that it's it's espoused to its employees for a very long time, handed on down uh, on high from Jeff Bezos. Mm. And so Travis's idea was essentially to to remix those uh, 14 values and, and make it sound a little more like uh, a bro kind of reciting mm-hmm. these things. So uh, some of the best ones were... Um, I think making magic was one, uh, meritocracy, toe stepping, and um, always be hustling was always a wonderful one. Yeah, and that's, that's coming from the highest echelons of a very big company. <laughs> always be hustling, everybody. <laughs> and then the 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 my favorite, my personal favorite, was just uh, super pumped and being super mm-hmm. pumped. Right, so um, uh, Uber employees were evaluated on the level of super pumpedness that they brought super to their pumpedness. job. Yes, the, the noun <laughs> super pumpedness, um, which I guess roughly translated to like the zeal and energy you brought into bringing down the taxi industry or whatever. But okay. it was right. just, um, you know, I remember he unveiled these at a, a $25 million corporate retreat in uh, 2015 in Las Vegas, mm. uh, where Beyonce was the guest of honor playing a music uh, uh, show for them. Yeah. That's one of the craziest scenes that you illustrate <laughs> in the course of the book. It's, it's, it's pretty unreal. It's, it's all, it's like a cartoon and that's, and that's the, employees in the audience were just like is this guy for real are right. we like are these values like or is this a joke is this just yeah. an elaborate joke <laughs> but it was like what i wanted to get at in the book is like this is all it's 
kind of too too strange to be fiction, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's real, and this is kind of how some people think out here. You know? Right. And, well, that is a mentality that is important for Uber's success and understanding where they came from, because in, at every step of the way, there are entrenched interests that they're running up against. There's mm-hmm. the taxi industry, there's local municipalities that don't necessarily want Uber to be there, and yeah in order to get past that, you can see why they would want something like being super pumped to get past it. Yes. I I mean, I completely, like one could argue you kind of needed to fire up your Mm -hmm. troops or whatever if you're taking on some of the toughest entrenched industries, taxi lobbyists, you know, governments, um, taxi operators, like these are not people that are messing around. They are tough, right? So you need troops that are fired up. And it, it kind of speaks to me for this double-edged sword of this entire period in Silicon Valley, just in the sense that I, mm. I, I get it. I get the appeal. You know, sure. if, if I were born with a slightly uh, more analytical, techier sort of brain, I could totally see myself as a tech bro. I see the allure of these things. <laughs> I love that. It's very <laughs> self-aware. I like that. <laughs> well, I do my best. I do what I can. And, uh, you know, if... Um, because what they're selling, what they're selling is is rapid growth. They're selling solving people's problems. They're yeah. selling making the world a better place and making a buck and having a good time all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And and for a long time, the argument of that held sway for a lot of people. And it took massive scandals like this. It took the 2016 election in the case of Facebook. Yeah. It really took a lot of big world events to make that argument seem less appealing to people. Well, I mean, uh, here's the sort of problem here slash you know it's thornier than just like tech is bad right Mm -hmm. and like when i wrote this book i mean i've always been pretty hard on uber and my like reporting for the times but i think um you know i don't think i think people that join some of these companies like part of it is sure they want to get loaded and like this is where salaries are and you can be a partying bro and then there are also people who do actually believe in the mission you know like that like people at facebook do believe that connecting the world is going to be a net positive thing or they're bringing internet to people who wouldn't have otherwise had it which could bring um, more opportunity online perhaps they can create these online businesses that they wouldn't have had before Uh, in the case of uber i think the biggest proponents inside of the company believe that look if you want to um i think the phrase they use is ignite opportunity for people who want to drive on their own time and set their own schedule um we can Sort of offer this for them and we can do it at a massive scale and um and they, they they aren't wrong that all the um sort of laws that were around how transportation worked before how taxis operate and how uh, local governments sort of like work in tandem with them were designed really to protect the incumbents right so it, to some degree i think you kind of have to you already are the underdog when you're going up against these companies and you have to sort of um, look at it as a fight depending on uh, the industry you're breaking into. And I think perhaps transportation is like one of the most difficult industries to break into at all. Mm. Let's talk about another theme of Uber and many other country, uh, companies around this time is uh, the worship of the founder. Yeah. And uh, Travis Kalanick certainly leaned into that uh, to a great extent. You, you, you list all the myriad ways in which he was extremely competitive mm. up to and including Wii Tennis. Uh, he was apparently, <laughs> as you yeah. write in the book, uh, one of the top Wii Tennis players in the entire world. Yep. How, what, what is this worship of the founder and how did that play into how Travis Kalanick ran this country? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Company, excuse me. <laughs> well, it basically was a company. Uh, no, no, no. I think, um, I mean, look, I think there's a real obsession around, um, I mean, in the book, I call it the cult of the founder, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think every, and a founder is a person who starts a company. In the Valley, I think there's probably no greater 
um, honor than to start your own company, right? And it, it becomes something different than, you know, people have been starting small businesses forever, right? Like that's how, like, that's just how people come to America and start start their business, right? And you can grow it into a big thing. And I think that is admirable in its own right. I think it takes on some different quality here in the Valley that becomes more grandiose. And uh, perhaps Steve Jobs was like the sort of ultimate example of, of like, the ultimate founder, right? He has this like very showmanship-like quality. Um, he's not just creating um, cell phones; he's creating a dent in the universe, right? He's yeah. trying to like right. he's trying to change how all of society works. And you know that rhetoric can actually be true some of the time. Like mm. I would argue that the iPhone is a very much a revolutionary device. We now like al- like almost a significant portion of the world carries a thousand dollar computer in their pocket for mm-hmm. 18 hours a day and, and are always connected. So that, that, but I think that kind of got internalized on this new generation of let's say 20 to something to 30 somethings, you know, in the uh, post bubble, post.com era mm-hmm. where, you know, the founder suddenly becomes like the end all be all and their knowledge is very, um, is crucial. And they sort of have this divine authority almost to, to behave how they will. Mm-hmm. And in the best case scenario, I think you might get, let's say, a Jobs or a Zuckerberg who build these huge companies and largely have been successful, although you can take umbrage with the, the repercussions of that, like right. especially in, in Facebook's case. And then in the worst case scenario, I think you have something like Uber, which is sort of like this breeding ground for uh, Thomas Hobbes's version of, <laughs> of survival in the real world and yeah. uh, mixed with Wolf of Wall Street, basically. Right. Well, and... Even the most benign leader in the world, when it is this unfettered, completely unconstrained mentality that they have and this this belief that the rules don't apply to me, excesses become inevitable at a certain point. Um, I was telling you before we turn these microphones on, uh, I lived in Taiwan for about five years Mm. and their rollout into uh, Uber's rollout into Taiwan was incredibly disruptive. Mm. And they they got off on the wrong foot with uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the local lawmakers may have been willing to find some accommodation, but they just boom right out of the gate. They were breaking all the rules. They were trying to get in as quickly and as uh, as fastly as possible. And the question that I, I had for the people, uh, the executives at Uber over in Taiwan was, I, we, I get some of the arguments that you're making. I get why the taxi industry here is inefficient. But essentially what you're asking people to do is to vest you with the authority <laughs> to reconstitute this industry. And given all of your conduct so far, why would anybody want to give you that authority? <laughs> that's a great. No, that's exactly. And this is the this is the sort of ego it's like a mix of ego and a messiah complex um that founders and i think um companies come in with that can sometimes work sometimes be off-putting sometimes a mixture of both right like Mm -hmm. they they're convinced that they're they are acting in the spirit of progress um that innovation is uh, innovation and therefore progress are by are defined by uh, positivity, right? This mm-hmm. is, we, we have a better way, so therefore this is going to be a good thing. There's that, no negative innovation. Exactly, right. Like, yeah. the, the, the innovative, being innovative is like a, de- by default, a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, and, um, you know, like, there, there are merits to that approach of sort of bulldozing ahead. One could argue that, look, Uber is ubiquitous around the entire world right now, and, and they might not have been polite in how they pushed their way in, but they still exist. And on the other hand, Maybe you can attract flies better with honey or something, you know, like maybe maybe eventually that approach started um, working against them. And I think, um, you know, maybe they, their blitzkriegs into local 
governments worked for a while until it didn't, until mm-hmm. they started um, uh, realizing, hey, you know, you're you are not the law, right? Just because you have invented this thing which has some benefits doesn't mean the laws don't apply to you anymore. Hmm. Want to make a quick reminder to our listeners that uh, you are listening to KCBS In Depth. I'm Keith Menconi, and this is our weekly deep dive into some of the events and trends shaping life here in the Bay Area. Today, we're digging into the history of ride-hailing tech giant Uber with Mike Isaac, author of the new book, Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber. And let's turn to uh, one of the really, uh, I think, darkest facets of the last couple of years at Uber. That is the revelations of sexism and how women employees were treated at the company. You mentioned Susan Fowler uh, a couple minutes ago who uh, brought to light uh, many of these problems. Tell us a little bit about what we learned based on uh, Susan Fowler's blog post and what we learned later and how that level of uh, sexism was allowed to exist within this company. Yeah, so if you remember back to uh, 2017, early 2017 when um, Susan wrote her post, this was pre Me Too movement, mm-hmm. uh, or really pre like the 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 crux of the Me Too movement when uh, the Weinstein allegations came out later that year. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, like look, I don't think I think Silicon Valley as a, a whole is largely defined by young, often white upper upper middle class males that have kind of defined the culture within, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's always been a difficult place for women or people of color to like break into and that's been a thread that's been there um uber again kind of represented like the 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 most crystallized version of this right mm-hmm. where i think travis um as an upwardly uh, mobile uh white male founder kind of hired a bunch of folks in his same vein and like um often with a sort of fratty mentality and really the the culture was you were basically rewarded for if you made your numbers and if you were able to grow your section of the business while um, any deficiencies you might have had, whether in some cases it was threatening subordinates with a baseball bat or, you know, uh, throwing a coffee mug at another employee's head or uh, just, ran, you know, just sort of rampant harassment, whether it was verbal or sexual harassment of employees beneath you didn't really they kind of turn their head the other way mm-hmm. if it, as long as the business was running smoothly and that's but, how we get to a place where susan fowler is trying to run up the chain about this complaint uh, to hr and hr is saying the guy you're complaining about is making his numbers yeah and like that you know basically just sort of turn the other cheek or turn turn their head away from mm-hmm. finding it and so uh susan the, susan fowler um she ends up leaving the company she's just tired of it uh she's tired of being sort of cast aside or at least mistreated and then decides to write this couple thousand word blog post that just detailed a real like sorted you know history at this company and and it struck a note for whatever reason mm. at that moment people in the valley people in technology people across the u.s really um were ready to hear it and um and it just that that's was the beginning of the end for travis's reign i think wow yeah and it uh clearly uh, unleashed a lot of other revelations as mm. as well. Um, let's get to perhaps a slightly more philosophical question here, if we could. Yeah. That is, you know, we're talking about the way that Silicon Valley shaped up over the last 10 years or so. And we, we you, you know, we, you mentioned a second ago that a lot of people see innovation as inevitable. If we didn't do it, some other mm-hmm. guy would have. Mm-hmm. But is the way that that innovation was carried out, is the way that these companies and Uber in particular were constituted 
Was that inevitable based on the kinds of businesses that they were making? Or does it come about because of the particular sorts of people that ended up at the top? Is, you know, is the fact that Travis Kalanick was Travis Kalanick, is that really pivotal here? I think this is a question that haunts people that are even at Uber now, right? Mm -hmm. Like, could Uber have been built without a Travis, right? Mm -hmm. Can you build a company without being a jerk, a great company, right? Or is it sort of endemic to... Uh, the personality complex of every great founder, you know, I mean, I mean, people have a lot of complicated feelings around Steve Jobs right now, you know, even if they worship him, on the other hand, he was perhaps not always the most nice person to everyone, right? right? Um, people definitely, even sources that I talked to who um, admired Kalanick at one time also have really fraught feelings around the guy and, and, and just, you know, some people are like, well, he's, he's a sociopath or he's, uh, he's whatever, he's just delusional. And so I think um, there's probably something in, to the idea that, like, people with these such intense personalities or such a drive to just throw out every rule in the service of some greater thing that they see as important, there's probably something to that personality type. I don't think you necessarily have to... to just completely trample over the law to uh, the law or existing orders to create new things. I think mm-hmm. that that comes in time. But um, I guess the question for Uber people is this is at least ride sharing was probably going to come no matter what. Right. Is it, it's just a question of would would Uber have been as big and as Ubery as it is without Kalanick? And I don't think so. I think it would have probably been a different looking company over time. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, given that there is some of that mal- malleability there, there are different ways to try to bring these new industries out into the world. Yep. Do you think in a post-2017 world where we've had some kind of a reckoning with the the state of Silicon Valley, where it, it does seem to be the case that people are not quite as wide-eyed, they're, they're, uh, these uh, tech companies are getting much more critical coverage than they used to get. That's right. Do you think that we're in a different Silicon Valley now? Have things changed? Yeah, no, that's a great... Uh, point like so in the book I talk about this key moment I think it was really around the election of of president election of Donald Trump and and I think in the valley you know like of course California is not fully blue there's a lot of you know red pockets and whatever but in the valley it's very you know often like left-leaning sort of tech workers and and residents and I think um, it was a real wake-up call for okay well you know it was a shock on in the system of a lot of people. And and I think almost immediately after Trump was elected, these um, uh, stories started coming out. Well, you know, Facebook influenced the election or Russia is messing with people by th- spreading disinformation or drivers are forced to live in their cars or use a bathroom on the street because they can't afford a living wage because these companies are exploiting them. And this real, I, I use that moment as like a crystallization point for the uh, um, sort of wake up call to people that, Progress is not just a unilateral thing, right? There are side mm. effects that each of these companies create. And while I think positive, um, there can be positive attributes of, of creating companies and moving in one direction, we also have to recognize the secondary effects of that and um, grapple with them, right? And I think it's just a more realistic view of looking at tech. I think probably right now we're in a very sort of super crit- hypercritical phase, and we're probably going to come out of that uh, with to, to, the pendulum is going to swing back towards something in the middle, if that mm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think coverage kind of goes in in waves like that. And, and this is probably an extreme pullback from years of probably not going hard enough on tech. Mm. 
All right. Well, it's a story that's clearly still unfolding. Uh, but if you want to get a better handle on what's happening now, this is definitely a 10 year period or so that's uh, well worth digging into in more depth. And you can find more depth in the book that we've been talking about all this way. It is Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber. Its author joining us in studio has been Mike Isaac. Mike Isaac, thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me. This was fun. Remember, you can listen to past episodes of KCBS In-Depth online at kcbsradio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. We'll see you next time. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for all news 740 and FM 106.9 KCBS. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 